I want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the wind and I just couldn't resist. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of implied, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, pull hearts, get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsuk and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? We we have to change the script somehow, but you what 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 actually what you should have said this week was Happy Thanksgiving, Simon. Happy fake Thanksgiving, Simon. How's it going? Have you had turkey and, and pumpkin pie yet? No, I haven't had either of those things. That just that's sad. Yeah, well, all the grocery stores are closed, and I didn't go anywhere, so I was working. It, it, it actually, yams? in retrospect, was no, I had no yams. Cranberries? No. Are cranberries a thing for you guys? No, I just had some. What did I have for dinner? I had some. I had a, some pizza. It was like the least Thanksgiving Thanksgiving ever. Okay, that's just sad. So you're gonna have a real Thanksgiving at some point this week, right? So that uh, we cannot be depressed. I got invited to one, but I didn't go, so probably not. Okay, sympathies revoked. <laughs> I on the other hand went to a wedding and learned some Scottish keely dancing. It was pretty sweet. They had a, a cake of badgers. As in the badger, 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 mushroom, mushroom? Oh, yes, I know. I'm familiar with the internet. It was amazing. Uh, hopefully, our Canadian listeners had a, a fabulous Thanksgiving. Let's get to our feedback from you guys. We heard from a bunch of you. Um, Keith broke up with S.H.I.E.L.D. this week. We had asked what shows people were, had uh, broken up with. He's loving Elementary, though, and Lucy Lewis Watson. And we also talked some Gravity, because I saw Gravity this week, and it exploded my brain. Bob, Beth, and Kyle all uh, wrote in to let us know that they really enjoyed Informed Opinions. So I'm glad you guys liked it. We had a lot of fun. And apparently, I was trying to remember the name of the video game. It's Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney. Thank you, Ken, for the reminder. We also talked some Cowboy Bebop. Um, so, Ken, I'm sure you'll enjoy our DVD shelf at the end of the podcast this week with uh, Chris Pierce from Television Zombies talking Cowboy Bebop. That was a lot of fun. And uh, we do talk about the music. Kizzy also tweeted about the music. We will be discussing that at, at some length. You know that Takashi Miike made a, an Ace Attorney movie, right? I did not know that. Do I, wait, he did. Do I want to? Do I want to see it? I, I don't. Well, apparently it, it's not horror at all. If that's what you're thinking, he's done all okay. kinds of things. It's, okay. You know, apparently it's very much in the style of the game. That, that sounds amazing. So thank you for the heads up. Um, Mario also says that we should follow the scandal Twitter feed, which is apparently almost better than this show. We'll have some more scandal talk later on in the episode. We also got some emails, and uh, we're going to read out uh, from Carl. We asked about uh, people's dating lives for with tv which shows that they had uh, broken up with and so carl said his dating profile and uh just some some excerpts here he had different uh different sections so living in the past he still needs to finish up the newsroom broad church and the bridge from this summer and he wants to start twin peaks and the 4400 don't know when he's going to get to that he says what what order should he approach those oh twin peaks first uh the rest are kind of a mixed bag. I haven't. I've never actually seen Forty Four Hundred. Forty Four Hundred is fun. There's some really good stuff in there, but also there's some, you know, it's a, it's a hit and miss. But there there's some really good fun ideas. I would say Twin Peaks, then Broadchurch, because you know, one and done there. 
then bridge because just because it's shorter and then 4400 and end with newsroom i guess but he's broken up with agents of shield because he can't deal with so many uh with so many periods in the name and uh so many characters he doesn't care about and the blacklist he's also broken up with the long-term commitments that he's sticking with are walking dead bob's burgers sons of anarchy parks and rec helen wheels and homeland apparently uh he's a little worried that his relationship with homeland is on shaky ground but he would feel bad leaving it at this stage so we'll see how that pays out for you uh I Carl. think everyone's relationship with Homeland is shaky right now. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, and uh, his dream show is almost human. He's holding out hope that this will fill the whole fringe left, trying not to put it on a pedestal, though, that uh, such that it can't live up to. And uh, yes, that I would knock those expectations down a bit. It's There's potential here, but it's very much a procedural. And so just gear down the expectations, and then I think you may enjoy it. Um, he says, really like the informed opinion segment on lawyers. Keep them coming. And uh, thanks for the the chapter breaks. And Mario says, I started watching S.H.I.E.L.D. Didn't get involved with the first episode, so he dropped it. And uh, he likes Sandberg and Brower, so he's trying to make a point of keeping up with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's watching Hostages, because uh, I love Tony Collette and love to look at D- Dylan McDermott. So there we go. Uh, he's also checking out Masters of Sex. Let us know what you think, Mario. Uh, right now, Modern Family is silly comedy. I fell out of uh, Parks and Rec two seasons ago. So, uh, and then also he said about um, Vampire Diaries. I didn't know Vampire Diaries was back. Even though you're tuning out, I'm checking it out. How can you not watch a shirtless Damon and Carolyn bring panini, a panini press to college? Maybe not for long, but you convinced me to catch up on this show, and the last season was tortuous. I'm not quite ready to quit yet. So, uh, that that was entertaining to me. I'm, let us know how long the shirtless Damon and the Caroline uh, Panini Press keep things going for you. Um, and if we should tune back in, drop us a line with that, too. As for Scandal, he says, uh, no, not much subtext, if any. <laughs> um, there are a lot of chess moves and WTF moments. You're right that Olivia loses any back when she has when she's with Fitz. She's a strong woman when she's away from him. Actually, the way to bring them up is to bring them together. They would lose interest because their lives would be boring if they actually were together. You're not going to get an Ozymandias or Earl Koenig episode or anything with the symmetry or death of, men, of Mad Men. The fun is the surprise and what they're going to do next. Don't overanalyze it. Sit back and have a good time. So that's apparently his advice on Scandal. What do you that's, think? That sounds like terrible podcast fodder. <laughs> Sit back and don't think about it. <laughs> well, Ryan was positing this week that there's there's a new genre of TV that's just batshit. And I think Scandal could fit in there. She was discussing this in relation to, to Sleepy Hollow. And we'll see. I'm hoping we might get another kind of B-movie style post from her talking about this other approach to, to shows that are on right now. But uh, I think there's definitely room for scandal in that category. And uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's fun. Yeah. I, I, don't, I mean, obviously they're different brands of batshit, but yeah, very uh, different. Yes. Uh, and obviously American Horror Story is back and that's a whole other level of batshit although that's doing other things also but we'll we'll we'll, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there we did not get any new itunes ratings or reviews this week but listener carl has a contest and apparently what? yeah he's holding a contest uh in giving away the season three dvd of haven for someone who writes a review for us what? on itunes or any of uh of five different podcasts so if you leave a review for 
the Sound of Sight Televerse podcast, TV Rewind, Nerdette podcast, TV Times 3, tuning into Sci-Fi TV as well. If you leave an iTunes review for any of those podcasts and then tweet a link to the review or take a screenshot and send that to Carl, um, he's <laughs> at my Vogon Poetry, then you will be entered into the drawing. And you can, of course, if you listen to and then write a review for all five you get five entries and if there are enough people that that enter enough you know people write reviews then he's gonna give away some other stuff too so maybe haven season season two maybe some other box sets but yeah and that's you can find more information at his tumblr which is mvptalkstv.tumblr.com so check it out and carl you're amazing that is pretty awesome so yeah and the, the deadline, by the way, for that is Friday, October 18th, because it can take a while for those reviews to show up in iTunes. So that's when you have to have emailed him the screenshot. So if you would like to be entered to win a free copy of Haven Season 3 on DVD, you should do that probably today or tomorrow when you're listening to this, if it's not already Friday, so that you can give iTunes a couple days to, you know, either eat your review and then you can try again or actually publish it. So I look forward to seeing what goes on with that. And regardless of what happens, maybe everybody will only review all the other podcasts. But uh, thank you very much, Carl, for, you know, caring enough to put something like that together for us as well as these other podcasts that you enjoy. Totally. Um, at Sound Outside, it is still Horror Month. We have a lot going on over there. And, of course, we just started up the Walking Dead podcast as well, which if you subscribe to us in iTunes, you should already have that in your feed. Otherwise, you can check out soundinsight.org and, uh, and and find The Walking Dead podcast there. That was, of course, the two of us as well as Ricky D. But uh, a lot of fun. It's going to be Ricky and myself every week. You'll be checking in every now and again. Maybe you, you came in for the premiere. Are you going to come back for the mid-season finale? Oh, let's, let's not count our chickens, shall we? <laughs> well, that might give you a little hint of uh, what's the opinions in the uh, Walking Dead podcast this week. But let's get into what is another very full week in TV. And we're going to kick things off with the comedies. And I understand you've recently become engaged to young heartthrob crooner Josh Groban. <laughs> when I found out that Mr. Covington was actually a chick, uh, I had to have her. I mean, look at her. She's smart. She's sexy. She's hilarious. <laughs> she pops. <laughs> he likes his ladies to pop. That's true. Groban does like his ladies to pop. <laughs> Isn't he cute? Sing her that song you wrote for me. Which one? The one you wrote for me. Oh, God. Put me it's on the spot. Oh, oh, you're going to love it. She's got blonde hair. She's perfect in every way. Feet not too large, not too small. Blonde hair. She's gorgeous, not like a bird. But like a beautiful woman, definitely not like a bird. This week in comedy, we have the premiere or the pilot of Filthy Sexy Teens, as well as Children's Hospital, a lot of Bruhaha Zilch, uh, the 100th episode of Always Sunny, The Gang Saves the Day. Then we have Eastbound and Down, Chapter 24, and we're going to do a network comedy roundup. With Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Emmy Time, New Girl, The Captain, Mindy Project, Magic Morgan, Trophy Wife, The Social Network, The Crazy Ones, Bad Dad, and Parks and Recreation, Doppelgangers. But before we get to that, let's start, actually, let's kick things off with the South Park episode this week. We haven't actually talked about South Park since it came back uh, for this season. I haven't had a chance to tune in yet. What what have you been thinking? Uh, well, I felt like tuning in this week because uh, I knew they were going to be doing a George Zimmerman episode. In this case, it's called World War Zimmerman. And if the, I mean, 
it is exactly what it sounds like, which is them lampooning the whole George Zimmerman, Trayvon Martin thing, while also very, very precisely spoofing World War Z, a movie that I haven't seen, but thanks for running a film podcast, I know every single beat of and was able to recognize very precisely what they were making fun of. And it's a really strange episode because, um, I mean, thankfully they managed to um, be quite outraged about the whole situation in pretty much the same manner as most other sane people. So there's none of that sort of contrarian, quasi-libertarian bullshit they were slinging around a few seasons ago. Uh, on the other hand, it's paired up with this very straightforward movie spoof that if you don't, if you haven't seen the film or don't know about it, I think some of the details will just be lost on you. But I will say that the, the I, I really love the, the twin sequences of uh, making fun of the scene in which Brad Pitt comes home to his adoring wife and ch- children, but right, before, and it's just insanely cartoonish, followed up later in the episode by a, a scene in which George Zimmerman comes home to his adoring wife and children in exactly the same fashion. It was disconcerting in just the right way. And uh, so little moments like that I appreciated, even if the whole conceit was just beyond bizarre. Interesting. I'll have to see if I can make some time to catch up with that, because, uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's, there's space in my life for a little South Park. Let's move on to Filthy Sexy Teens. Of course, NTSF uh, SDSUV took the week off this week, and instead we had the latest, I believe this is supposedly a spinoff of NTSF. I think it's mostly its own thing, though, but it's also, you know, from the same people, so it's from Paul Shear and, and that whole group. Um, what did you think of what is an annoyingly titled show for those of us looking for information online. Yeah. Filthy, sexy teens. I'm just the fact that Paul Shear has made you have to Google that makes me want to give him points. Um, <laughs> and the, by the, uh, way, the S in teens is a dollar sign. Yes. That, that helps. Sense. <laughs> uh, yes. Assuming people actually use it. Um, so it, are they just going to air it every once in a while instead of NTSF, or what are they doing? I have no idea, because I can't find any information online. Because it's all porn. Good. <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, so this is a, I, I guess, a, a spoof, like, an, basically a spoof of Gossip Girl. Yeah, Pretty, pretty much Little Liars. Up. Yeah, that whole Yeah, that whole definitely. Deal. Uh, Steven Yoon from The Walking Dead is in here, uh, and some other people you'll probably recognize. The cast is kind of amazing actually it's insane i i wouldn't i wouldn't say i laughed out loud that often but there were definitely a few quality chuckles to be had and you know steven yun gravely saying i like i like balls so you know <laughs> pretty much it was a it was a nice surprise and when you brought it up with me i i i just assumed you were making it up no it was it was really fun i actually really enjoyed this premiere i was glad to see you know Chris Parnell's in here, Sam Trammell, who gets saddled with all these unfortunate storylines on on True Blood, just gets to be silly and fun in a couple scenes here, as well as Casey Wilson, who I've really been missing since since Happy Endings went off the air. Uh, and th- that, those are the adults. <laughs> so uh, all the teens, also played by people roughly the same age as the adults, uh, are just, just, they're ridiculous. And it's nice to see Steven Yoon play some comedy and just get something different to do. I, I didn't recognize any of the non-Steven Yoon teens, did you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, okay. I, I, yes. I, I don't have the, the names in front of me, but I, I will look it up for the next time we talk about the show, because they're definitely people that you have seen before. Okay. I just couldn't tell because they're all just so pretty. Even just the details of like the the context they put in the adoptive sister's uh, uh, 
the the context they put her in that have like the bright blue with the dark you know edging and everything like just the specificity of some of these details are really fun uh, I did. I did recognize the teacher, who's also <laughs> student age. He's in in the loop. Very fun in there, but yes. but yeah. So if you ha- if you get a chance, check out Filthy Sexy Teens. It's again, it's like ten minutes. A lot of fun. Also fun this week. Children's Hospital. A lot. A lot of brouhaha over Zilch. I just love the series memory, where every now and again they're like, oh yeah, let's bring up this one. We'll, we'll bring back this one ridiculous plot line from earlier that we're assuming you all forgot about. The way that they've been handling that specifically this season has been a lot of fun, and uh, always enjoy seeing Chewy McJuju back, as well as of course John Hamm. So another fun children's. Uh, shall we move on to Always Sunny? Yeah, I just wanted to quickly mention Adult Swim is having a really good season and the yeah. fact that Eagleheart is starting up in a couple of weeks uh, and the trailer for that just came out and it looks insane. I cannot wait for that. Definitely. And you said it's going to be serialized? Yeah, it's basically a, like a it's a it's basically a movie that's been divided up into 10 parts. That is intriguing to say the very least. We should move on though to the 100th episode of Always Sunny, The Gang Saves the Day. I just thought this was so fun. Yeah, I, I mean, the whole conceit of having the episode divided up into individual gang members having their fantasies, I think, was a good one, even though some worked better than others. Um, I think the least successful was probably uh, the Dennis one, mm-hmm. um, which I'm actually having difficulty remembering. Um, I love the D one. The D I one love that great. they brought Josh Groban in. Yes, Josh Josh Groban is. Uh, I have no respect for him musically, but he's clearly has an excellent sense of humor and has demonstrated this on multiple occasions. Um, I'm trying to think of. The, I mean, obviously the Charlie one. Holy crap! <laughs> wow, that the thing about that sequence is it was you know the animated sequence was besides all the great little details, it was actually really beautiful to look at. Yeah, the animation was great. And like as you said earlier in the week when we were talking about some of the comedies, it was lovely to see animated Mary Elizabeth Ellis on Always Sunny and then real life her later in the week, earlier in the week actually on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So yeah, I, I, I would have a hard time picking my favorite of the segments. But the fact that they each wrapped up the convenience store element of their daydream almost instantly and then just kept going... Uh, was was just a delightful bit of self-involvement that really worked. Yeah. And obviously the Mac one which 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 was the first the action movie mm-hmm. sequence was also great. Yeah. A lot a lot of fun. One of their better episodes, I would say. One of their stronger episodes this season. Do we have much to say about he's spending down this week? Uh I have a couple things to say. Uh first, first of all, I, I mentioned before I wasn't sure if David Gordon Green would be directing and I guess he is cuz he's credited for this week's episode. Although at this point, he and Jody Hill their work on the show is so in sync with each other that I can't really tell the difference. I mean, we we did get a little bit more slow-mo montage voiceover stuff this week. But yeah, it, it wasn't the most eventful episode, but I did like... I like that whole notion of um, of Kenny... You know, he loses in every sense in this episode because he goes to step out of his marriage, but his timing sucks anyway, so he has the, the shame of stepping out without any of the satisfaction of anything actually happening. And I thought that was a really smart move. What we're getting this season from from East Bend and Down has been very interesting to me. And the choice to have him sitting there staring at the ceiling in judgment of himself and feeling like crap, and then you know seeing and we see his son watching him, just like the fact that they are going into that this is a 
person who was ruining his life and passing that on to the next generation. I love that it actually cares about all of that and is not satisfied with just being funny. Yeah. Um, and I, I also liked that they, uh, I mean, you can argue whether or not this is just more darkness, but I, I really love that they let April cut loose this, this episode and not just yeah. be that person. And it, it, it reminds you that she actually does know who she married and that they're together for a reason. Exactly. And it's only like three episodes in, but it's already my favorite season. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm very curious to see where it goes from here. We had we didn't really have any stuff with Ken Marino or the, the mm. sports sesh. This week, so I'm, I'm curious to see where that goes and how it's going to just explode in horror. This seems like the most ennui-filled season, and that combination with all the insanity and then with just genuine laughs, at least as far as I'm concerned, yeah, it's it's a delightful mix. So keep up the good work, guys, over at uh, Eastbound and Down. Let's do our network comedy roundup. We have Brooklyn Nine-Nine, M.E. Time, New Girl, The Captain, Mindy Project, Magic Morgan, Trophy Wife, The Social Network, Crazy Ones, Bad Dad, and Parks and Rec, Doppelgangers. Which would you like to start with? Oh, uh, let's start with New Girl because I complained about that a lot last week. <laughs> and I thought it was actually good this week. I... I like that they more they did the best thing they possibly could with the whole Schmidt thing, which was uh, not have the women be present at all, because <laughs> that we don't have to think about just how horrible that all is. By the women, of course, I mean Cece and Elizabeth. Obviously, Jess is still there. Whatever. I mean, I, I like when they go for raunchy because they always do it in this very wink, wink, nudge, nudge, networky kind of way. That's fun to watch them sidestep around. Um, so that that is generally a good source for laughs. Uh, more quality Winston stuff, obviously. Uh, with the cat brothel, which I, it was funny, but I'm really, uh, they need to give him something concrete to do again yeah. soon. It'd be nice if they didn't waste Ricky Lindholm while they're doing it. Uh, but yeah, I think the important distinction this week is that the problem we see Jess and Nick dealing with is a very real one and a, a significant one in pretty much every relationship. So watching them deal with that in a really, this really significant real life problem in a way that makes sense to the characters was refreshing as opposed to all the stupid bullshit they've been dealing with in the past couple of weeks. Yeah. And it, it was nice for them to acknowledge that if anything, if we're going to keep watching Schmidt, he's going to need to pull some serious stuff. Yeah. Uh, like there needs to be like, yeah. And I'm curious to see if they can pull that off without any bullshit. Mm hmm. Uh, that's that's going to take some doing, but at least this was better than last week and made me less annoyed to watch it. Yeah, and the mini project was better too. There's a very clear sitcom conceit at the center of this that is sort of ridiculous. It is definitely fun to see Glenn Howerton show up just for a few scenes. The cast that they bring in for these recurring uh, male characters that are love interests, potential love interests, that is, for for Mindy, are just, they're awesome. So he he's a lot of fun here as well. But the fact that they this all comes to a very true emotional and emotionally resonant place with Mindy at the climax of the episode at, at the reservoir, that that's what makes this episode work for me. And there's a lot of silliness. There's a lot of contrived moments, but I absolutely bought the gravity of her emotion and her, what she was dealing with, with the breakup with Casey and, you know, being engaged and then not engaged. I like that they were at least respectful in that moment of, of what a significant loss this is for her. And so, you know, and, and at the same time, not thinking the answer is to just get back together 
with him either. So, so it was definitely a step in the right direction as far as I'm concerned for Mindy Project this week. A few words on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I guess, which I think to me feels like it's been steady. Uh, I mean, it was a little slight uptick last week, slight downtick this week, but I think it's doing what it needs to in terms of de- developing the rapport between different pairings in the ensemble and, you know, it's having fun, especially with Andre Brower and his non-expression. Um, I think that they're everything they're doing right now is smart, uh, with the exception of maybe not curbing Andy Samberg's obnoxiousness quite enough. Yeah, but I think the way that they're using that uh, with these, like, sort of cutaways is smart and that helps temp- temper that a little bit. So, uh, you know, if they continue to use that approach where it's not, you know, they, they can use some creative editing to kind of trim that. I think that works well. So yeah, I agree. I'm I'm still enjoying, I'm still enjoying Brooklyn nine, nine trophy wife had a fun episode this week as well. The kids felt like kids this week or the, the one kid we spent our most of our time with. And I like that the, the resolution of the boy that that she's interested in made sense and you know that they've raised like this this these parents are are very nerdy and they're very uh type a and of course they're the kid that they raised is not some crazy partier she wants to go to a party and hang out and drink soda and eat chips and play i think they're playing like checkers or scrabble or something and that's a crazy night for her that you know, that was a nice surprise, and uh, I don't know, I, it worked. It worked for me. I thought it was sweet. I liked it. Crazy ones. There was a nice uh, beat there. I wanted just to mention that because of the. It, it's just so refreshing to see a network comedy actually say that the family members like each other, and while maybe they had a traditional, untraditional, non-traditional relationship, or in this case, the dad's psycho, there's value in that, and that this father-daughter pair actually do respect and care for each other, and that Sarah Michelle Gellar character would not change her upbringing as ridiculous and crazy and destructive as it may have been. She would not change it because it's what made her who she is, and that she loves her dad no matter what. I've that's a surprisingly rare comedic beat at this point in in uh, in most television. Having not seen it, I I definitely feel like I mean I guess Modern Family could get away with it, mm-hmm. but that's yeah that's fairly rare. Should we talk about Parks and Rec? Yeah, a few words on that. Uh, obviously, we had Sam Elliott, who was definitely the most memorable part of the episode. I think. Oh, June Diane Raphael. Uh, oh, I I did like June Diane Raphael for sure, but. Sam freaking Elliot, come on. <laughs> uh, I can see June, June Diane, Diane Raphael on my television any old week, but Sam Elliot doesn't show up every day. Again, I, actually, I feel like my appreciation levels for Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks and Rec are almost exactly alike at this point, which says something. Because yeah. like, uh, I feel like their approaches to, like, there are even parallel characters at this point, I feel like you can say. And like parallel relationships like it's not perfect but they're in terms of the formula and the rhythms they're very very similar and parks i mean parks used to be more than that and brooklyn 99 still could be but i feel like they, they're they're at this like comic how can i put this like they're some sort of sine wave based metaphor coming your way that you can figure out at home uh do you see what i'm saying here i mean i I see what you're saying. I still, I think I like this episode better than almost everyone. I really enjoyed this episode and had a lot of fun with April and Tinifer and Ron and Ron and uh, Donna's reaction to what, 
what was that character's name? Craig, wasn't it? Craig, yeah. I, I would like to actually see some of these characters pop up again. And tying that in with last week, we had the Leslie parallel of Kristen Bell's character. You know, I thought it made sense and was fun. So, um, I mean, I definitely see what you're saying, though, where they're both ensemble casts that have a similar, in some way, sensibility and uh, certainly know how to split their group off into interesting pairs. We didn't hear anything this week from Tom's Rent-A-Swag situation, so I'm actually kind of curious, and I'm surprised that I'm curious. What's going on with that? Uh, are there any particular threads you're more interested in? How is the Anne and Chris stuff working for you? Um, I mean, there's no real friction there, is there? I mean, we know they're leaving. That's true. That doesn't help. Yeah. So, like, I'm not, I mean, it's got some cute little notes here and there, but that's kind of what I feel like Parks and Rec does now is cute. <laughs> Interesting. And they, they, you know, they're definitely one of the happy shows, one of the feel-good happy shows. Yeah, so, there's nothing uh, wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that, but that that is not necessarily something that's going to grab the audience in a big way. Yeah, and it's also, you know, not an accurate representation of life, which is all misery all the time, as you well know. Of course it is, Simon. What wins your week in comedy? Oh, I'll give it to Eastbound for sure. With a nod towards Always Sunny for 100 episodes, but I'm going to have to give it to Eastbound. I'm giving it to Always Sunny. And uh, with a nod to Filthy Sexy Teens, because I oh, really we go. thought that was hilarious. There is a house in New Orleans. They call the rising sun. And it's been a ruin of many a poor boy. This week in reality, we have Top Chef New Orleans and The Amazing Race, King Arthur style. I don't have that much to say about Top Chef New Orleans. They made gumbo. Susan Spicer showed up, which was pretty cool. For those who don't know, That's the she was the basis of the Kim Dickens character on Treme. So that was fun. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm glad they're in New Orleans. It's cool. And that's all I got to say. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, anything else? Or shall we move on? No, let's move on to The Amazing Race. And I feel bad for all you suckers who chose Chester and Ephraim. Like you said they should last week? Yes. <laughs> and like I agreed with last week? Yep. <laughs> yeah, they. that's got to be one of the most epic fails in Amazing Race history where they don't even just let them do the challenges. They just show up at the airport and say, just go home. Just don't oh, even. so harsh. Uh, it was even worse because otherwise Tim, Tim and Marie would have gone home and that would have been amazing. That would have been hilarious, that's for sure. But um, how many, I mean, how many flights got delayed? For them at least four it was crazy it was really unfortunate and honestly i mean based like if that hadn't happened there's no reason they couldn't have eventually won yeah definitely um we'll see what happens if it had been like oklahoma i don't think anyone would have cared yeah have we seen a situation where there was that wide of a range not just if you exclude them from 
the competition, you still had 7 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. Have we ever seen that many different arrival times for people? Usually there's just one or two. Uh, I can't recall having seen any, but I definitely haven't seen somebody be like a day late. <laughs> like Avin with them. Yeah, I enjoyed the, so you're saying there's a chance. Oh, and they were, and weren't they like the second to arrive? Like yeah. Initially. Yeah. So brutal. So brutal. Yep. Um, but I like that. But they they took it so well. At they the did. End, they were they were real champs. Yeah. Which was kind of surprising. Speaking of champs, I was first this week, along with more than half the people. I'm guessing I forgot to put my picks in because it was a crazy weekend. So I have a feeling I was not the only one. Nobody picked them, gave them any points to be eliminated. And so first place was four points this week in the pool. Uh, I am still in ninth place overall <laughs> by one point. I, I forgot to make picks this week also. That means you got four points too. Yes. I was banking on that. <laughs> I've already made my picks for next week. I'm feeling better about them, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Hopefully I, I got to start getting some points because the first place is like over 20 points and I, and I'm at eight right now. This week we got to the first challenge I would actually like to do, which was the crop. What, what kind what, what do you call that? Uh, the, yes. The ballista challenge looked like fun. Yeah. It looked like it definitely looked like fun. Would you have done the map or the puzzle? Puzzle. Interesting. I'm terrible. I'm, I'm, I mean, once you saw the map, it wasn't hard. But uh -huh. if I was if I was facing that card and had to make a choice, puzzle would have been the easy choice. Yeah, I was surprised. We didn't see anybody else start from the edges. Has nobody ever done a puzzle before? <laughs> I guess Edge not. pieces. I, I did like the Afghanimals almost tricking them into using the Express Pass. Oh, my God. The Afghanimals are not my favorites, just based on the, the fact they just, like, the whole race wives thing is just, definitely creepy yeah and it's just ah uh, they're, they're not my favorite people and um they're just kind of annoying and not unskeezy and yeah the, the the whole reaction to the the i guess they're calling them the bunnies the baseball wives uh was a little interesting i like that marie said she was pissed off at first but then she basically said yeah i would have done that and i didn't <laughs> And I'm annoyed that I that they did it and I didn't. Yeah, that was cute. I also I'm actually starting to like Marie in a weird way because she gets in the best lines, like how she, when she just takes over on the puzzle thing, and she's like, "No, well, when you get your thing, you can do it." I don't actually believe you're going to get your thing, but if I don't say that I think you're going to get your thing, everyone will hate me. <laughs> so yeah. she, I, I'm, I I kind of like Marie, even though she's clearly a terrible person. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens with the pool moving forward. What wins your week in reality? I really only well. I guess I have two choices. I'll I'll give it to Amazing Race. Yeah, me too. For for the fact that I remembered it. Yeah, I think they're bringing it in Kermit or somebody next week on Top Chef, so that should be fun. But uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see moving forward if, if 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 Top Chef can actually become interesting enough to unseat the Amazing Race. And that wraps up our week in reality. We'll take a break and come back with our week in genre. <laughs>
this week in genre, we have the premiere of The Walking Dead, 30 Days Without an Accident. We have the Once Upon a Time in Wonderland pilot, Down the Rabbit Hole, the Supernatural premiere. I think I'm going to like it here. The American Horror Story Coven premiere, Bitchcraft. I still love that title. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The Asset, Sleepy Hollow, John Doe, and Strike Back, Shadow Warfare, Episode 9. First of all, the Walking Dead premiere, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, we already have our thoughts up in the Walking Dead podcast. I liked it. I was mostly pretty indifferent. Does some good things, but honestly, if you listen to the Walking Dead podcast where I'm guesting only this season, you'll hear my engagement level is quite low. <laughs> Let us know uh, what you think and uh, check out the Walking Dead podcast for, for more in-depth analysis of that one. Let's move right on to the Once Upon a Time Wonderland pilot. I had seen about a 20-minute tw- like sort of presentation for this one, but not the full pilot, so I did want to give my thoughts. I, I actually think this is pretty fun. It's very uh, it's whimsical. Uh, it's very Once Upon a Timey, but it has a focus that the actual original Once Upon a Time, it seems to be, uh, seems to have fractured from that. And I think just that strong central narrative of Alice being our main character, it's a good performance from the lead as well. She's really, uh, really holding the, that show together. That that works. And um, yeah, we'll see what happens moving forward. But for a pilot and for a pilot where one of the significant characters is John Lithgow voicing an animated bunny, I think they did pretty pretty darn well. So... I would say if you like Once Upon a Time, even if you ju- you know jump shift after a while, check it out because I, I I liked it. All right, my interest level could not possibly be lower, but based on those criteria, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, next up is the Supernatural premiere. I think I'm gonna like it here, and the there's some interesting stuff here. I I think it's a very wise choice that they make with Sam, and uh, I liked Tom O'Pennicott in this. It sort of was a palate cleanser after Dollhouse, so that was nice. I'm hoping he pops up again. I like that since they always, every season, they find a way to have the brothers lying to each other and extra drama, which doesn't make sense, but at least this season, the thing they will be lying to each other about makes uh, sense as something you have to lie about so it's at least it's an important or significant enough thing that i will go with them on it i liked seeing jim beaver back in a uh, logical way it was lovely seeing julian richings back as death i always love when he shows up and he's such a wonderful presence on the show so there's a lot of potential here and we'll see what happens with Cass. but um him having to you know eat and poop and you know deal with money in a way that he never has before he was an angel but he lost his grace last season simon's very confused so you know he actually has to deal with being human now which will be fun uh, to watch misha collins play so you know i think there's a lot of potential going on and they sort of got me to forget about my frustrations with the finale from last season so well done supernatural Shall, shall we move on to American Horror Story Coven? Sure. I, I watched this, I think, a few hours before you did, and we got to that cold open with Kathy Bates and people with no faces and bullhead on person body, and I thought, oh, man. Because <laughs> I thought they might ease us into the gory stuff, but this was actually the opposite. They started off with the worst stuff, and then the rest of the episode was pretty tame, uh, at least by American Horror Story standards. So, uh, But then you informed me that everything we're seeing in that cold open is more or less fact-based. Yep, for the most part. The, there was worse stuff than we saw that she did. There was there was worse stuff? Like what? Uh, well, we 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 see in that later in that open uh, them cutting the pancreases out of people while they're alive. Um, they, she routinely had uh, slaves rape other slaves 
Um, yeah, there was there was worse stuff. That that the, the actual for those who don't know, the Kathy Bates character was is based on a historical person who lived. And that opening scene, you know, the opening uh, teaser or whatever, the cold open this week, you know, that t- torture chamber in the attic, that was a real place. And those are all things that happened. The skin peeled back with the maggot that happened. Yeah. Oh, so oh, that was really nasty. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that the minotaur, like putting the bull head, I don't know that that happened, but pretty much everything else that we saw up there. Yeah. So I think because what I figured out that that's because I, I didn't connect the character to the historical figure immediately. But as soon as I did, I was that I think because I knew what to expect. Maybe that helped. But I was just watching this going. I'm waiting for it to get scary, guys. <laughs> and if you're interested in this at all, I highly, highly recommend checking out the Stuff You Missed in History Class podcast from HowStuffWorks.com. They did an episode, of the the Ladies of the History Stuff podcast did an episode on Madame Lollery, and there's another one on um, Marie Laveau. That might be the stuff that might be stuff you miss in history class that might be stuff you should know but those are both excellent podcasts and they're they give historical information as well as the legends they parse them and it's it's very well presented well done big uh big uh fan of of both of those podcasts so if you are more interested in the historical basis of some of these characters check that out all right, but this is American Horror Story, so we can, I think, safely assume the historical basis part will probably end very shortly after this episode. Oh, so you're telling me the historical figure wasn't buried alive and survived for, you know, hundreds of years? Probably not, although we can't prove it. There was a uh, there was a, per- a person buried in that spot, though, historically. It was a 12-year-old girl. Oh, there you go. As far as the actual series goes and its quality, I think this premiere is probably about on par with the premiere from last season. Maybe not quite as good. Uh, I think it's all going to be in how they execute the next few episodes. In particular, next year we get our, uh, next week we get our first uh, Tim Minier episode, and traditionally he's written the best episodes because he's awesome. Uh, so I'm very curious to see what he does. What he does with it. The fact that two of our regulars this season are dead already <laughs> is a really fun choice. That they could do anything with and i'm sure they're gonna have lots of fun with it did not recognize dennis o'hare at all it had to be explained to me who he was after i watched it go figure um other aspects don't work so well uh, i think I, I really really like tysa farmiga but i wish she wasn't saddled with sex with death sex or whatever it is her power is supposed to be because it's really really lame and it for me the bigger thing is that it just doesn't make evolutionary sense when because they're talking about um, the genetics of it you know the gene skips generations if your genetic mutation is that you kill people when you have sex with them how are you going to get pregnant and have a baby and pass on well, your mi- genes uh, unless she has some magical pregnancy power we don't already know about That's maybe true. she can reproduce asexually we don't know that's true and this is american horror story they could do they could do that i could see it happening they absolutely could uh they can do whatever the hell they like uh jessica lang is still just devouring scenery left and right um which is always fun it's great to see kathy bates again especially as i didn't watch harry's law and uh also really i i, I don't care about emma roberts but i think she's well cast here as just a total brat and uh I really like Gabourey Sidibe as well. Yeah, the, the the dynamic between the four is really fun. And the other thing I want to mention is I really like the location shooting. It's such a distinct area of the country, just a distinct feel. And 
the fact that we do see them actually walking around New Orleans, I think is an important, um, if it, since it's so such a significant setting for the show, it's not like it could take place anywhere given some of the choices of what they're dealing with. Uh, I think it's so, such an important choice for them to actually be filming there and for us to see New Orleans and for it to feel like New Orleans. I'm, I'm very glad that they did that, and I'm very glad we got some some shots of them walking around. I hope we get some more. Yeah, I think it's going to make the originals look very silly. Um, the, uh, the only other thing I want to mention is obviously it's a very silly setup. I wasn't expect, I was actually expecting it to be more of a period show. I wasn't expecting so much in the present, uh, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I guess the only other thing is I'm curious to see, well, a, the fact that they said ahead of time that this was going to be a funnier season that was more, more of a comedy doesn't jive with this premiere mu- that much at all. I was I mean, laughing. a little bit of that. There was a little bit of that with, with the modern day witches, but not so much with the cold open. Um, so I'm curious to see how they try to wring laughs out of this. And uh, I'm also curious to see if they can manage to get any pathos out of it also, because I think that was something they, they did really artfully last season. And which I assume they'll try to do based on the uh, Tysa Farmiga and Evan Peters characters, but that's going to be tricky because one of them is dead. So <laughs> I'm I'm very curious to see how we get there. Yeah, definitely. But for right now, at least I'm totally on board. Oh, oh, I bet I know what it is. He gets brought back from the dead and they can have sex because he's already dead. Okay. That's my guess. That's your guess? Putting it out there. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to our next show in genre, which is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The Asset. We uh, did a little bit of public flogging uh, of the show last last week. We were not fans of their second episode. Did it get better for the third I mean, it wasn't offensive this week, so I guess that's a plus. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Um, you didn't say anything overtly racist. Um, th- but it's still not really doing anything for me. Yeah. I mean, it feels like, you know, we get our first hint of serialization this week with, with the villain who gets dropped into the gravity puddle or whatever the hell it's called. We saw an origin story for a, a Marvel villain. Yes. Basically. Which felt a lot like every origin story for every Marvel villain ever, pretty much. Other than that, I mean, people seem to be pretty excited that it got a full season order. What are people getting out of this show? I don't know, because it seemed to me that people were pretty much all on the same page about it, that, you know, it was somewhat of a disappointment. We were hoping it would get better, but there was nothing really to hold on to yet. And then they announced the full pickup and everybody was, like, dancing in the streets. So I'm surprised. I was very surprised by that. I don't know what they're seeing that I'm not, but I hope it gets better and I hope it gets better soon because I like a lot yeah. of the people involved and I would like to be rooting for the show. I mean, it is not just like one problem. Like, yes, the dialogue is super clunky and obvious and these these dumb conversations about the moment in the field when you know when everything works. And it's like, oh, I've heard these beats so many times before or variants of them in other shows that weren't good either. Why am I not watching Strike Back? Yeah, pretty much. And then, but the, even if you fix the dialogue, the characters are still boring and the situations are still just rote action movie stuff. And so the like, performances are not particularly strong. No, they're not horrible, but they're not memorable. Yeah. It's it's it could be worse, but it really should be better. Yeah. Yes, that's a very it's a very astute summary right there. Sleepy Hollow finished up its first 
original episodes run this week. It's going to take a few weeks off before coming back in November. There's time travel. I like that they're really keeping up the craziness. So a ghost village of Roanoke and a unknown pestilence slash plague from one of the horsemen. Decidedly crazy and fun. And uh, we took a break from the family drama this week. So I guess th- this looks like that this will be the approach for the next uh while, I would imagine, kind of going back and forth X-Files style between the mythology stuff with the sister and with all with Moloch and all of that, and then these cases of the week. And I, for the most part, I thought it worked. Um, so yeah, I, I continue to have fun with Sleepy Hollow. But let's move on to our last show of genre this week, and that is Strike Back Shadow Warfare Episode 9. We sounded like idiots. We do sound like idiots now, but only in the best possible way. Yeah, that was awesome. I especially sound like an idiot for taking them to task for the previous stuff yeah. with, uh, yeah. Um, if, if any of the, those people were were listening, you know they were just... Cracking up. Oh, just wait. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Didn't give them enough credit for that. Uh, this was a really awesome episode, especially because... For the first 45 minutes, I was mostly thinking about Archer. <laughs> the, the whole train sequence was just ridiculous and insane. And I like that they're not, like, they're good at what they do, but they're not perfect in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. They make so many mistakes this week, and a bunch of people are probably dead. And it's just it's just chaos, but it's not in a ludicrous way. I, I will say that in that first half, the fact that neither of them gets even a scratch on them in the middle of these... They, they get in, like, three huge firefights where they're hugely outgunned, mm-hmm. and n- none of them, nobody really gets hit at all except for secondary characters, which I do take slight issue with. But I'm re- ready to forgive all that because the last ten minutes was so awesome. Yeah, it was pretty great. And uh, I do actually want to specifically compliment them for not having the boyfriend open the door for his girlfriend, uh, which is what every other show would have done. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Especially when we're comparing to something like S.H.I.E.L.D. right now. And yep. uh, the, but those last those last ten minutes, I've, they've really done a great job with. Uh, I want to say Esther, Astrid, Esther, yeah, Esther, Esther, the uh, the daughter. I'm completely invested in that character. I did not see that coming at the end, and I should have. Okay, so he's Kamali is Al Zahari. Is that what we're saying? It's the only thing that makes sense. Well, I mean, if they're gonna wrap this up in one more episode, it's the only thing that makes sense. And uh, well done, them. Good writing. Excellent performance. Uh, we talked about it last week when we thought he was a good guy and dead. <laughs> that, that, the, the, that they kept us guessing all season, and I really didn't know what I was supposed to be thinking. And this paid off in spades and then made me feel like an idiot for not having guessed it this whole time. Because we were talking about early in the season that clearly there had to be a mole. And then they just drop that thread and we're like, okay, we're distracted by other shiny, pretty things. And we get back to the end of the season. Right. Yes. Oh, right. Remember that thing? <laughs> oh, right. There's explosions and nudity. Oh, yeah. Huh. Uh, so, so yeah, it's just, again, so much fun. So glad we jumped on board. I'm going to like go back and watch the Strike Back panel from Comic-Con that I attended. And I'm going to get so much more entertainment out of it this time. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we jumped on this too, especially because like, honestly, Anyone who's who's frustrated with Shield right now should just go back and watch at least from the beginning of this season. And yeah, they'll see how it should be done. Like, yes, maybe the the, the quips aren't quite as uh, weedney, I guess. Yeah, but as, they're as, funnier. They're funnier because the acting is better and because the stakes feel real, which makes humor impact 
more. The relationships feel real and substantial yeah. and lived in and and not just from the characters who have been on the show together for the whole run, but also just from the new people they brought in. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think this one's my week in TV and I really like the Coven premiere. So that's saying something. Are we just talking genre right it's now? Just genre. It's just genre. Oh, just genre. I'll give it to Strike Back for sure. Yeah, it, it, we, we were contemplating whether we should spotlight it, but we said we should wait for the finale because presumably it will be badass. So, yes. uh, yeah, just a lot, a lot of fun. A lot of fun on, on Strike Back. Now let's take a break and come back with our weekend drama. If I die young, bury me in satin, lay me down on a bed of roses, sink me in the river at dawn, send me away with the words of a love song. With you when she stands under my colors, oh yeah. Life ain't always what you think it ought to be, no. Ain't even gray, but she buries her baby. The sharp knife of a short life. Well, I've had just enough time. Our week in drama this week is Scandal, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Elementary, We Are Everyone, Homeland, Tower of David, Parenthood, Nibble Confusion, Boardwalk Empire, The North Star, Masters of Sex, Standard Deviation, and The Good Wife, A Precious Commodity. But before we get to all these other shows, we need to start off our week in drama by talking about Glee, the quarterback, which is, of course, the episode that deals with the death of both Finn, but really it's about the death of Corey Monteith, of course, the actor who plays Finn or played Finn on the show. Obviously, this was an episode we knew was coming and we knew would be tricky. How did you react to the episode and what what did you think of their approach? Um, It was a really, really mixed bag. I mean, I think what this episode underlined is that Glee as a show in terms of the way it's produced is just spectacularly ill-equipped for this sort of thing. Uh, I mean, I, I checked in because I'm always interested to see how shows deal with this sort of thing. It doesn't happen all that often. So, and especially a show as pastiche driven as Glee is and sort of, sort of pop culture reference heavy and, and at times snarky. Uh, I was curious to see how they would deal with it. And, I think some. I think the the actual acting bits. I think mostly work very well. I mean, Mike O'Malley and Romy Rosemont just destroy in their scene together. And Chris Colfer. Uh, Chris Colfer is very good throughout. Uh, I just think that every time we get an actual singing sequence, for me, the emotional engagement grinds pretty much to a halt because it just. First of all, the song choices are mostly not very inventive, unfortunately, and. Um, I just, I really, I can't engage emotionally with Glee in terms of its performances because they're just so overly polished, overly auto-tuned, overly uh, sort of just overproduced within to an inch within an inch of their life. And if there was an episode that ever demanded that they do things differently, I think this was it. And I think it was a missed opportunity that they didn't do that. Yeah, and, and maybe that's because we have a closer relationship with with music and performance that other people may have, but I'm surprised to not be hearing more 
a frustration about that element of this episode. I, I would absolutely agree. Some of these, these scenes really worked. And that bedroom scene with Michael Malley, Romy Rosemont and Chris Colfer is one of those ones that really tears, just all of the tears watching that scene. I don't know about you, but I it was very emotional for me um, watching that. But then we get to these songs if you are crying, as we see these characters crying while you are singing, that affects your voice. That, like, if your throat starts to close up, it's a very different tone. And so to, to, to show us performances from these actors of them clearly very emotionally moved in different ways, and then to play a track of them with a completely clear and open sound. And again, like you said, auto-tuned to an inch of their life on top of that, just had this huge disconnect. I mean, if you're ever going to pretend at least that you care more about one of your main cast members dying than about making the most possible money on iTunes, this would be the time producers and uh, general PTB at, uh, at at Fox and Glee and and so when when we have a song where Santana's singing and then she gets so worked up she just she can't finish and she runs off but she has a clear tone right up until she st- you know it's just so fake it's so contrived and uh, these are some really damn good singers just it's okay if they're slightly out of tune it's more honest if. Just record it, record it live with good singers, unlike certain movies, um, and and it'll <laughs> it will work. Um, and so the, again, like Leah Michelle, she's there's tears streaming down her face, but her tone remains unchanged. That's not how the voice works. Um, so that really took me out of uh, out of it. Also, they didn't let Chris Colfer sing, which seemed odd. Um, though I like that he was the through line of the episode. That made sense to me. Uh, and, and then also, yes, it was performed well, but Seasons of Love. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, it was only pointed out to me afterwards, and I and I did have to wonder about it. Diana Agron? Yeah, I was thinking of that the whole time I watched. I mean, she she was a staple of the show for so long. It feels very, very odd to not have her in this episode, or at least, and to not even mention her. Yeah. There's like a throwaway line, we're all coming home, everyone who can make it. And to not have them say, I wish Quinn was here. Like Santana, especially, you would think, given mm-hmm. all of that backstory. It was it was very odd to not even have her have her mentioned. I guess they, they were hoping we would forget. I don't know. It was definitely weird though. Anyway, it it, it feels awkward to be to be criticizing a show like this for this sort of reason, but I mean I think especially for for us too, it mm-hmm. was just unavoidable to not yeah. we could not think of these aspects, even though we really should, it should have been the last thing on our minds. Yeah. Well, and like I said, I was very much affected by this episode, by certain scenes. Other scenes took me out of it, but there was a lot of real genuine emotion on display. And there were there were several scenes that really, really worked. Um, and I don't doubt the sincerity and the good intentions of everyone involved. And and, and the, the diversity of um, reactions to grief, I think, was an important thing to show. And... I actually, I'm I'm fine with the choice to not even approach the a discussion of of how and why he died because for them right now it doesn't really change anything. It's just now he's he's dead and they don't really care 
why and they don't think we should care on, on a teaching show like Lee, you can have a discussion about whether that's appropriate or not but in this episode given the real life you know circumstances surrounding everything i thought that was fine it really didn't bother me um and uh, while again going back to the teaching element of glee sue's reaction that we see from you know in her that scene with santana doesn't feel appropriate to the character or doesn't feel appropriate to the show but it does feel appropriate to jane lynch and to Corey. Yeah. And and so that's so I was willing to give them that scene just because it did feel so honest to how the performers and the cast and crew, you know, everyone involved in the show must feel. Yeah. Um, can, can I just mention that the fact that the two episodes that Ryan Murphy co-wrote this week were this and the American Horror Story episode? <laughs> that's that's some diversity. Certainly, certainly. Let's move on to our next show, Scandal. Have you caught up with this one this week, sir? No, you're on your own on on the Scandal front. Scandal was a lot of fun this week, and uh, I continued to enjoy the the dynamic between Olivia and her father, which I was not looking forward to last year. I was kind of groaning when when we had the reveal of who Joe Morton was playing all along. So so that that's saying something that I'm now fully on board with that. I liked the flashbacks this week. I thought they worked. I liked the whole like fuzzy cam flashback approach that that works for me in general and again this stuff with huck and olivia is is a really strong core for the show so uh going back to that well really is successful as far as i'm concerned i also want to mention elementary just because i filled in this week so my review for that is up at sound on site i'm i'm really appreciating the approach with watson because they they've just made her a straight up holmesian investigator at this point and uh, can you think of another Holmes adaptation where Watson continues to improve and get better at these Holmes style, like, like deducing and things? Usually they just leave Watson sort of the dunce. Yeah, I can't think of that ever happening. So, I mean, it makes sense. It makes her a much more interesting and resourceful character. So I really like that approach, and I continue to enjoy the performances from Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Liu. So you can check out my full thoughts on that at uh, at Sound on Site. Next up is Homeland Tower of David, and I'm feeling a little... Uh, I feel like you have an I Told You So dance coming, and you should. This, <laughs> this episode was almost entirely about Brody, <laughs> and I just don't care. That he's in a heroin den or like that he's like, you know, in the middle of was it Caracas and he uh, is now just sort of taking his mind away from where he's trapped again with heroin. Like, I don't care at all. So uh, I'm really hoping we're not going to come back to him again for a long time. I actually do still care about what's going on with Carrie. So, uh I, I will still watch next week, but I think the next time a Brody episode happens, I'll just skip it because I, I, I legitimately do not care at all about that character. But how long is it going to be before a Brody episode also becomes a Carrie episode? Probably well, not that long. Well, and that's the thing. This was also a Carrie episode. The paralleling of him with the heroine and her with her meds. I mean, there's there's some potentially shaky ground there. I don't know that they're necessarily saying that meds are like heroin, but um, I don't know. I just, oh God, they they just really should have killed him last year. But anyways, let's move on to Parenthood Nipple Confusion. Which I did watch, of course, because Parenthood is lovely and wonderful. Um, 
how are we feeling about Erica Christensen and Sam Yeager in their corner of the show? Do we care? Are we still are we still feeling like they're probably the least interesting couple? Because I feel like the show's never going to shake that. That is absolutely possible, and um, that's I think it's really too bad because I do like both the performers, but uh, I, I like them better this week than with all the building towards potential marital infidelity storylines we've been seeing for the past two weeks. Um, this is an actual situation that parents find themselves in and that they have to deal with. And the, what I appreciated this week was that they, it, it didn't feel like the steps in getting our characters to a place of potential marital infidelity. It felt like actual, an actual storyline that could happen. It felt, it felt much less contrived, I guess. And uh, I, I was more interested We'll we'll see what happens with them, but they're certainly the least interesting or the least engaging. And I don't know how much that is the performances and how much is just the writers don't seem to know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I do think if they get them to a place of serious discord, whether or not that involves infidelity, I think it would actually be good for the show to have a marriage that's actually falling apart because it makes sense. I mean, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for everyone to be happily married all the time. Because just statistically, that's not accurate. So, I mean, it's 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 a worthwhile thing for them to be doing, and hopefully they can handle that in a way that makes the characters engaging. Most of the rest of the episode is devoted to Crosby and the baby, and that stuff is all great as far as I'm concerned. Well, and then we also have uh, with the, the photography scenes with Sarah and Christina and uh, and also with uh, Hank again. And then, of course, there's that lovely scene with Craig T. Nelson and Bonnie Bedelia. And, I mean, what do you think they're going to do? I, th- I think they'll they'll eventually get rid of the house. I feel like that's where they're going with it. Okay. Uh, I, I, I feel like, you know, parenthood needs to mine some poignancy out of something this season. And if it's not going to be cancer, it's going to be the loss of the childhood home. That sounds cynical, but it's, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just really, I, I really can't think of anything else they can they can mine some sadness out of the season because things are going relatively well for most characters, except for, I guess, Yeager and Christensen. Yeah. And uh, I, I just also just like, you know, them talking, bringing up how, you know, the Camille character got married really young and hasn't seen really anything and has never really left that corner of the world. And com- you know, I think comparing, they, they seem to be building up a really clear parallel between that couple and Amber and Ryan and uh, so the fact that they leave that not underlined, I think, is really nice this week. And then also, I just wanted to mention the stuff with Drew and his roommate was just sort of hilarious. Yeah, it was. It was the episode definitely needed a nice, strong comedic beat, and I think that provided it. Maybe a little bit over the top, but Parenthood can do that every once in a while because it's generally very low key. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, think the baby's gonna stop crying now? Um, no. No, I don't think it's going to stop. I did love Crosby's just wonderment at the uh, at the pump. Oh, yeah. That was pretty great. Let's move on to a far less comedic episode. Though there was some good good stuff in there as well. Boardwalk Empire, the North Star. I loved Sally's Fight Club. Yes, that was that was great. Um was that the best sex scene this week in anything? Probably. I can't really think of any contenders yeah. for anything else. Um but yes, I guess that's and it was obviously way better than the other sex scene in the episode. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of people very excited about the 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 Chalky and Daughter thing. Um, so here's my situation with this episode. Obviously, I haven't seen any of the previous seasons. So the storyline with Richard 
And uh, Tommy and Julia, I didn't realize who Tommy and Julia were. I was like, wait, is that the same kid? Or is that a... So I don't know any of that backstory. So that was meaningless to me other than I like the actors. And then all, I don't know Eli very much. So that was all meaningless to me. And there was a lot of this episode. And I wrote this in my review where because I've only really jumped in at this season, and it happens sometimes when you jump in mid-show... A lot of this episode doesn't work for me, but I'm sure it does work for people who have seen more of the show. The stuff with Sally and Nucky I enjoyed, but it seemed so obvious that that was where we were headed back when we first met Sally, that it, it wasn't particularly, you know, more than just the basic level of entertaining. And with uh, Chalky and Daughter, that also has felt obvious, and of course that's where they're going from the moment she entered the scene. And, and so those... Two moments, you know, the, there was the comedic element to the Sally Nucky stuff that I really enjoyed. But just the fact that these couples got together felt very rote. And, okay, now we can move on to the next element of the plot and not particularly satisfying. I mean, I've watched every episode of Boardwalk Empire and I don't feel particularly engaged with the Eli storyline. I think Shea Wiggum is a fantastic actor. I've seen him do a lot of great work, but I don't think they've ever really developed Eli enough as a character they they toy with it sometimes but then when they need us to lean on him in a really important way i don't feel like it ever really works for that reason there's just too many people in the ensemble for that to work but um i don't know lots of little things i liked uh this this week whenever they have scenes with eli's right hand man i forget his name right now but he him mm-hmm. um i think that guy does is great I i like the way over time uh, he he was kind of a joke in the early seasons, and over time he's gotten quietly more menacing, even though he still has that creepy chuckle. And I just I, I've I've enjoyed the way he's sort of gotten more and more gravitas every season. Uh, I was definitely missing Michael Shannon this week, though. Well, and uh, I mean, what do you think of the the chalky stuff? Because oh, by the way, Margot Bingham can sing. I really love that they spend the time to show us, you know, that they're willing to just sit with her singing because I really enjoy that element of the show. But everything with Chalky, I just sort of, I don't feel like we know Daughter at all. Was was she singing live, by the way? I don't know. Maybe. I I don't think so. They were just, I was watching her mouth very carefully. That sounds weird. Um, but, and seeing if it synced up with the audio, there were a few bits here and there where it seemed slightly suspect, but if that is her real singing voice, it's quite nice. Um, it, I mean, it certainly matched up with her speaking voice very well. Uh, but as for the chalky stuff, yeah, I don't really care. I mean, I feel like it's all part of Dr. Narcisse's evil master plan, which we don't know all the details of yet. So I just, I feel like that whole storyline is kind of molasses-y at the moment i did i mean i i like whenever we spend time with chalky's family because they have an interesting dynamic but other than that eh, i'm not as stoked for that as other people seem to be yep i'm i'm right where you are with that and uh i don't know i other people seem to like this episode more than i did so we'll see i really like last week this week i was sort of lukewarm on and we'll see what comes up next week but next up is masters of sex standard deviation right and my review is finally up as of tuesday morning I don't know, I saw some people call this the best episode so far, and I actually thought it was the, quote, worst. I mean, there was still a lot of really good stuff, but there were a few devices I wasn't crazy about. Can we just take a moment to shame Showtime for their horrible, (laughs) horrible taste in show intros? My God, it's not good. Yeah, it's really not. Um, I I think I actually, 
I may dislike the Homeland intro more, but I think I dislike the music choice in this one more. Uh, yeah, they, they're just not good. It's way too wink, wink, nudge, nudge, whimsical. Uh, it, it feels like it's just there for a different show. I, I mean, I agree with you. I think the music for the Homeland one is good. It's just the visual is so fugly. Uh, mm-hmm. here, like very little of it works. At least it doesn't seem quite as tortuously long as the Homeland one is. But anyway, enough about that. Um, there's a lot of good stuff this week. I liked everything with, uh, interviewing the prostitutes, uh, male and female. I thought there were a lot of really good scenes in there. Um, I like the introduction of Lillian DePaul. That character is interesting to me, especially her dynamic with Virginia. And I, I really like that additional beat of the uh, other female hospital staff just being horrified at the thought of being examined by a female doctor. <laughs> um, which, yeah, that's one of the few sort of sign of the times moments the show's done, but I think one that works. Um, not so crazy about the flashbacks. And I have mixed feelings about the whole... Um, the whole thing with Masters and his take on homosexuality, which seems um, unlikely in terms of his pivot point so quickly this week, but clearly they're they're sopping to modern sensibilities a little bit in a way that I think could work long term. But in this episode, I have mixed feelings. Yeah, the there are certainly some some issues there if, if they want to explore them. The but I don't, I don't know that I think they're going to, though. Approaching this material, I'm a little leery uh, if they're going to be very honest about it and straightforward or if they're going to try to sand down the edges of it. So, yeah, I, I did think this was one of the weaker episodes so far. And, well, I guess there's only been three, but... I. There, there are elements to this episode that were less successful. I think the big success, though, like you've been saying, is Annalie Ashford, who is just so fabulous. I liked having Greg Grunberg up, show up as the Pretzel King. That was pretty fun. And, uh, yeah, there's some there's some interesting stuff in here. Uh, I did also really like uh, the stuff with uh, Caitlin Fitzgerald as Libby and her sort of almost blowing everything up until she gets some good news instead, uh, yeah. which I thought was interesting timing. And I, I, I liked her... The way she reacted to, uh, you know, sort of in between when she is clearly rageful at mm. William, but then sort of, you know, they have that very quiet moment of sort of mutual acknowledgement, but not really. It's all quite complicated. I, I like I like their relationship, and I'm I'm glad that they're that they're sort of required to keep her around a while. Um, and I also I also think she would have, for some reason, I keep imagining her as. Um, as Betty on Mad Men. I don't know why, but I keep thinking, eh, that could have worked. I do think Libby is much more interesting this week, and uh, I think that character has really improved. That She was the weak point in the pilot for me, and uh, yeah, her, the material with her this week is works well, and I find the relationship between her and Johnson to be particularly interesting. And also, I'm sure, a total fabrication. Probably, yeah, yeah, most almost assuredly. But uh, again, I'm I'm okay with departing from history when it's narratively interesting or useful. I'm less okay with it when now we have a character that is apparently gay and and that should be an issue, and I don't feel like it's going to be an issue. Yeah, well, well, well I mean, it's so early still, and we don't yeah, really know, the shows the show's still evolving. I'm, I mean. I, I don't really know how many people are watching or if we should expect a renewal, but 
I'm hoping it's going to be around a while and they're going to have lots of time to toy with this. I mean, we're in, we're now in 1957. The show opens in 1956. So they're roughly on par to have them publishing their first book by the end of the season. Uh, that's not a spoiler because it was in the inner title at the beginning. Um, yeah. So I'm actually hoping they go for a slower pace than that. Because um, I, I, I feel like the slower they go, the more they can get out of these characters and situations and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. There's there's still so many open questions about the show, but it's still clearly very good and and uh, I think it's still finding its feet. Yep. We'll see uh, what, what happens next. But let's move on to our final show of our week in drama this week, and that's The Good Wife, A Precious Commodity. I loved this episode. It was so deliciously gray. All of the <laughs> the abortion talk. I mean, having add, adding um, Janelle Maloney and Christian Borle. I probably pronounced his name wrong. Uh, like the guest cast is fun, but then just like the the murkiness of it, it was delightful. Yeah, this was everything was murky this week, and the are are, are we thinking we're going to get more from that case next week? Probably not. Probably not, but I would be okay with it popping up again. Yeah, um, Christian Borel is great, great casting. It actually took me a minute to remember where I saw him from, j- where I knew him from before, just because my memories of Smash are so deeply, deeply buried. Um, and yeah, it's great to see him in a good show, because <laughs> um, he was always one of the better parts about Smash. Um, yeah, the case of the week was fascinating and thorny and bizarre and wonderful but also everything with the uh with the fallout but between obviously lockhart and gardner uh was just brutal and i'm 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 amazed with how quickly they're making that happen which makes sense because you know you've once you've crossed the rubicon it's all over um and yeah i have no idea where they're going with any of that which is exactly where i want them to be with that (laughs) <laughs> yeah, definitely. And um, I continue to care about the stuff with Grace. And that, that scene between Mackenzie Vega and Juliana Margulies really worked for me this week. Uh, other people I'm hearing do not care about that storyline. Is that just me? No, no. I th- I think they're doing a really good job with it. I love the scene with her and the youth pastor. Oh, my God. That was great. <laughs> you want to come in and have a beer? Yeah, sure. What are you thinking? <laughs> Leave right now. <laughs> That was so great. That gave me a, a good solid laugh at two in the morning. But um, yeah, I, I think every scene of even just the scene with with uh, with Margulies just finding the website and looking at it and processing it, I think was just so perfectly written and performed. Looking at the comments. Yeah, just it's the kind of scene that only the good wife would even attempt. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that it that it does really well with. I, th- I think we would have spotlighted this episode, except that I just feel like it's got even better things coming yeah it just keeps spiraling out and out of control i also really liked i feel like the the kalinda robin dynamic is more interesting than basically any other pairing she's had in a really long time certainly and i i did not realize that kalinda didn't know about alicia yeah so (laughs) i'm like all stressed out about that now because i want them they finally are are starting to be okay i want them to be okay i don't like it when tv best friends fights and uh certainly uh, we're already dealing with the will diane split we do not need to deal with an alicia kalinda fight either um so i'm i'm anxious about that i I actually like that they brought melissa george back i I actually liked those those scenes except 
why does every network show feel the need to cast Melissa George and then not let her play Australian? Why can't she be a, a uh, ethics counselor from Sydney who, like, came to U.S. for school? Except that then people will ask, why is she Australian? I've seen her play American before. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I, I liked her better this week than I did in the in her first couple appearances. And I'm not really sure where they're going with the character, but again... It's good. It's all good so far. So, yay! Mm. And also, can we just a, a couple words for Zach Grenier, who continues to to, to just completely rule? Yeah, totally. He's he's a lot of fun this week. I also liked uh, the the brief scene with Chris Noth and Julianne Margulies, where it's like creepy, shady Peter is totally back, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun to watch uh, Chris Noth play that. He's been playing Upstanding for a while so to see like shifty peter back is could be a lot of fun and uh, also with the melissa george character that's got to be the best pairing we've seen for eli in quite a while right definitely yeah so they're doing a much better job sort of pairing off their supporting characters this season so far so yay for that none of that stuff like we got last season with with kalinda and her ex-husband Oof. yeah oh yeah that wasn't good but um, yeah, all kinds of good stuff. Can they stop calling Chris Noth special guest star though? Because it's it's obvious he has nothing better to do right now. Actually, he he's a pretty busy guy. But maybe right now they've they've managed to to take him away from his other commitments. But uh, yeah, hopefully that that he he's around to stay for a while because I do think he adds a lot to the show when he's when he's there. Uh, again, my my review for Good Wife is up at Sound On Sight because I, I filled in for Elementary this week. I filled in for The Good Wife this week. So if you want to hear more of my thoughts, you can check that out at Sound On Sight. A few show notes before we go to our DVD shelf with Chris Pierce of Television Zombies talking Cowboy Bebop. Love it. Um, our intro music was composed by you, Mr. Simon Howell. Our outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find a post up at soundonsite.org for this episode. Leave us a comment there. Let us know what you think. You can also find us up in iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We're also up in Facebook. If you like us there, you can follow all, all the goings on at Soundonsite TV. It's been a very busy week, so I've, I've fallen behind on Facebook, but I'll get back to posting um, over the next couple of, couple of days. You can also, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, enter a raffle to win Haven Season 3 on DVD just by leaving a review of the Televerse in iTunes. And check out mvptalkstv.tumblr.com for more information about that. And again, thank you very much for that, Carl. And uh, let's see what else. Of course, we're both up on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are? At Sucker Howell. And you can always email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. What should our question be? Well, um, Marvel announced this week that they're looking to develop five more TV series and a miniseries, if I'm not mistaken, uh, following the success of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I guess. Um, so uh, do people have thoughts about that? Do they want a mega franchise of comic book TV shows around? I mean... I feel like the TV landscape is big enough now that even if you don't want it, you can safely ignore it. But I'm just wondering, A, if that's something people want, or B, if they want it, what do they want out of it? Or C, is there some other, you know, fictional universe you'd rather have a network of shows about? I have thoughts. You have thoughts? I'll save them for next week. Oh, all right. Fine. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm intrigued. Yeah. I don't want to color the responses. So let us know what you think. 
about uh, the 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 Marvel plan for just a Marvel verse of television shows and potentially on Netflix, potentially on other channels, not necessarily ABC. Yeah, good question. Yeah, let us know what you think. Um, we'll talk about it next week in our in our feedback, I'm sure. Um, but for now, let's take a break, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with Chris Pierce to talk Cowboy Bebop. Four cowboys, four bounty hunters, four hearts, four notes. Following a dusty trail of money, sin, and desperation. Living day to day, dreaming hour by hour. Four beats, four parts of a movement. Mars to Venus, Callisto to Ganymede, Bounty to Bounty and Outlaw to Outlaw. One ship, one crew, one destiny. Cowboy Bebop. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are putting on our anime caps once again, continuing at least my education in a genre I am not very familiar with. And this week, we're talking Cowboy Bebop. Here to help us with that from te- Television Zombies, it's Chris Pierce. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, guys. I um, I have to admit, I didn't know that I was supposed to put on an anime cap, so I, I don't know. Is, is this going to work? I think, you know, just a little more of a jaunty angle, and then I think you're okay. good. Yeah, right. yeah, it looks good. <laughs> so what made you want to talk about Cowboy Bebop? Um, you know, I'm not super, super into anime, but this is a show that I absolutely love. And and it sort of, like, shows to me that there's probably some good anime out there if you if you hunt and search. Uh, I, I was shown this by a friend back in 2001, and... Uh, I don't know. I just love stories that have a beginning, middle, and end, and I love westerns. I love sci-fi. So this this hits like all the stuff, all the stuff I love. Yeah, I was introduced to the show actually back in back in college with the description. It's basically Firefly, but anime. That's uh, such an accurate description. Yeah, Yeah. I find it so interesting. Of course, this was before Firefly. Don't worry, anime fans. Appropriate props. Cowboy Bebop came first. Uh, It 
premiered in 1999, whereas Firefly, of course, was 2003. But uh, but that blending of genres is is one of the things that I really appreciate about it. There's a strong Western feel, like you said, and as well as sci-fi. And there's some really common you know anime kind of tropes as well. And we will talk about the music, but the show won me over before. Like the first time I watched any of it, it won me over with its opening credits because I love the music in this show. By the seatbelts, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty badass. It's super memorable. Oh, absolutely, and uh, and just the fact that the name of the ship is. Bebop. I mean, I enjoy I enjoy some good bebop, which is a subgenre for those who don't know of jazz and, and blues. So, uh, anyways, I'm a big fan of this show. Simon, were you familiar with Cowboy Bebop before this? Yeah, I'm not. I'm sure I've mentioned it every other time we we done an anime series, but I definitely went through a period of oh, I don't know, two weeks. Uh, where I just sort of mainlined a few series, and uh, one of them was Neon Genesis Evangelion, which one day we'll discuss, and it will be hilarious. But uh, one of them was also uh, Cowboy Bebop, which I almost certainly watched in its entirety over maybe a three-day span. Wow, and, uh, you really uh, marathoned that. I promise you I had nothing else to do. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I rewatched. Uh, I went back to the wiki page and read the descriptions again and sort of jogged my memory and that's all I did. No, I'm just kidding. I, upon rereading the descriptions, I rewatched about the eight, what I felt like were probably the best or most memorable episodes from what I could recall, which I, I think I did a pretty good job. Um, I'd be curious, like, w- which ones found their way into your list. Uh, well, obviously, I watched the uh, the first episode. Asteroid Blues. Ballad of Fallen Angels, uh, which sure. is, of course, the first uh, vicious episode. We'll have, you know, occasion to talk about that in a minute. Um, The two-parter with grin um yep. and uh, as well as for some reason mushroom samba i'm not sure how that <laughs> got in there but it's in there uh we'll get to that in a minute um pierre lefou which is probably my favorite episode spoiler alert um even though it's basically an episode of batman the animated series except cowboy I bebop could, style yeah i could sort of see that all right yeah I mean, anyway, more on that later. And, of course, uh, Hard Luck Woman, which is um, the only Faye-centric episode, really, that I can think of. Although maybe there's more. And uh, then, of course, the two-part finale. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's a really good uh, – if somebody's, like, trying to see it for the first time, those are some really indicative episodes of, of the overall sort of vibe of the show. Uh, and I guess for me, like, uh, especially on rewatch, and I had the same thought watching it the first time, I th- – think like I, I i love obviously the music and i love the look of the show i think it's a just a gorgeous show and i i love the world building um it just seems like a like a, like a very believable future and like although I, I i do wish we had a better sense of like space geography sometimes but you know these are basically 20 minute episodes so they're they're cramming a lot in there i do wish that i was as invested and interested in the character design and the mythology as i was in the in the world building and the look and the sound but I'll take what I can get. I I sort of know what you mean. I, they certainly create a very uh, unique and, in its own way, believable world. There's a lot of world building in every episode, even the standalone, you know, cases and stuff like that. But um, I think that Spike Spiegel, Spike Spiegel's a pretty well developed character. I would argue. Um, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't say that he's not well developed, but he's certainly extremely familiar. Like he's he's more I, I feel I kind of feel like he's more a collection of sort of familiar ticks and archetypes than an actual person, you know, and, and I guess you you could be right. But I, I guess I'm not 
enough of an anime expert to speak to that. So to me, he feels like a like a really interesting character. For those who don't know who are listening, uh, can we get a, a basic plot synopsis? <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Jeez. Uh, well, uh, it essentially is a show that follows uh, several bounty hunters uh, that are always broke, looking for work, and and that's that's an enough of a plot. The rest of it is all sort of just individual uh, cases, but like mostly character building, I would argue. You, you sort of have to get into describing each of the characters to, to really understand the show. Yeah, it, it's it's really, it, it's very c- concise, the, the show, and, and uh, it, it's very straightforward in its approach, and I appreciate that. Uh, it's, it's only 26 episodes. It's only 26 episodes, exactly. Half-hour episodes. Yeah, 22 to 24 minutes without the commercials. So it, it's very, yeah, like I said, it's very concise in its storytelling. It does a lot through images, and this is probably the only anime where I don't really feel bad for watching the dubbed version because it's, it's a really good dub, and they do a lot of their storytelling visually, so you're not missing as much. That's true. And I mean, we, we talk about it being concise and straightforward. I mean, through some of the images in those early episodes and especially in um, in that fifth episode, you know, they do have a sort of mystery element kind of that you find out more about later. But it's pretty even that's pretty pared down. You're right, but I, I think it's important, like even though we say it's a sci fi Western, I think if you had to in, in a way, those are trappings. Those are sort of like visual trappings of the show i think at its core it's more of a noir story because these are very like sort of doomed characters and um it, you know it's it's just a very hard-boiled wor- world uh you know the main character spike is it, 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 sort of a doomed detective i mean it, it really i think i think noir would encapsulate everything better than ever, uh, any other description yeah and it, it, it's just the blending of everything works works so well. I love that in in the what's asteroid blues when they're talking about what happened to all the the millions of oolongs for our last bounty. Uh, well, you destroyed the ship, you destroyed the other guy's ship, you sent the guy to the hospital, and <laughs> it's it just it has a very understandable and relatable yeah, approach. Sent a cop to the hospital. A cop to the hospital. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and and so just the way that it 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 has the characters who we'll get into actually really quickly here as the characters in this really understandable and relatable world. And, uh, and while there is that, that noir element and the, the Western and sci-fi trappings and all of that are going on, it's still, they feel very, at least to me, they feel very relatable. Um, even if maybe a couple of them, like you were saying, Simon tend towards more tropes than individualized characters. Do you guys have particular characters that stand out to you? Because I always love Ed. Um, you know, is it weird that Ayn is my favorite character? <laughs> it's hard not to love a really smart dog. <laughs> yeah, to, to, for anyone who hasn't seen it, Ayn is the uh, brilliant Welsh corgi that hangs out with them for <laughs> most of the series, and he's awesome. I mean, it's hard not to love Spike just because I love sort of a sarcastic, hard-boiled guy that's awesome at Kung Fu. But I, I think uh, Jet is probably my second favorite character, his uh, partner, just because... I don't know. There's something so grounded and, and real and in a way sad about Jet and, and how he 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 like wants this nice, you know, ideal world. He wanted to be a cop. And, and yet the world is just so corrupt and he's just sort of forced into this sort of fatherly role all the time. Uh, it's I don't know. I, I just really like the character of Jet. 
Yeah. No, they are really, like I said earlier, they are really relatable and also a lot of fun. I appreciate the humor that we get, especially with, I I feel like Spike gets a lot of, you know, there's some some sort of slapstick stuff that goes down. There's some... uh, some underplayed humor with that character as well. It's it's a really fun show. Uh, on the subject of Ed, who or slash Edward, who they pick up uh, a little after the first episode, um, sometimes I like Edward, and sometimes she just gets on my damn nerves. <laughs> I, I'm sort of in the same boat. Yeah, it, it it's. I I don't know. I I wonder sometimes if it's a cultural thing. It just sometimes seems so silly. Well, she's definitely she definitely plays a very specific function where much of the time she's sort of like the comic relief figure, especially palling around with Ayn. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I appreciate later in uh, in Edward's run where they kind of give her a little bit more of a dimension. They sort of do like right at the very end of her character arc. Yeah. And sort of like give you like a, so, so that on a second viewing, you can sort of. I don't know, take that into account and, and maybe get a little something more. But, uh, yeah, probably not my favorite character, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just appreciate, like you guys were saying, she's it's a very silly character, but I do appreciate that. The the episode where the whole thing is her playing chess with a computer, yeah. I, I love that episode just, you know, for the for those interactions. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I appreciate that source of humor in, in the show. But uh, do you guys have any other characters we should talk about? Because well, we haven't addressed Faye. Exactly. We're watching oh, the show Faye. the first time. Faye was my my main hurdle to get over for this show. What was the hurdle aspect? Well, it it the, the <laughs> overwhelming I get, and maybe this is not a correct term, but the overwhelming stereotypical anime ness of the way yeah. she's dressed. Right. Was really difficult for me. For those who haven't seen the show, she's basically wearing nothing a lot of the time. As 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 fully she's fully dressed while wearing as little and as as possible. There's many many boob shots. Um, yeah, it, I don't it appreciate. It doesn't quite that. make sense in a way, like in the world. Yeah. But yeah, but then the I come around a little bit because I really find her tragic backstory really really engaging and it sort of helps define her personality traits and Mm -hmm. i think that she makes sense as a character but you're right that like the design of running around in hot pants and a bikini top it just doesn't quite make sense for a bounty hunter so i don't quite understand that decision well and everyone else in the world is dressed logically in suits yeah yeah Yeah. on the other hand like it, it it eases. I noticed. I don't know if it was deliberate or not, but I, I find it eases off after a while. In those first few episodes, there are so many fan servicey, lascivious <laughs> shot. Well, shots, frames of not just Faye, but also like the most glaring example is in that very first episode. The sort of uh, girlfriend of the guy they're chasing. Like, there's just so, so, so many just. There, there's, there's, there's a lot of male gaze going on. There, there well, is, and yet at the same time, there's like the point of that is she's she's trying to distract people. So I sort of understand, like that it's intentional on her part. And there's also there's a really like blatant look. It's her boobs shot uh, that almost freezes for a moment. Only you know her chest is on the left side of the frame, and the point of the frame is the three guys in the background sniggering like idiots. 
uh, over boobies. And so while, yes, there is that element there, it's also commenting on how foolish and immature these men are. Right. It's sort of having its cake and eating it too, though. Yeah, definitely. But still, that character felt much, at least at... I, I really appreciated that girlfriend character in that first episode. She felt much more rounded than when we first meet Faye. So maybe that was part of the problem because it does take a while to really get to know the character. And she also is really, uh, she's introduced, she, she just feels very loud <laughs> and, <laughs> um, she's very, she's there to, to whine at Spike a lot, uh, yeah, at she's first. She's yeah. there to make life difficult for them, which, which is, and and they spend pretty much the entire show bitching about how she makes life difficult for them. Yeah, but you know what? Like every every show needs that kind of a character, whether you know it or not. Like they, you need a regular cast member that that that's a foil that doesn't make life easy for the characters. So it she fulfills a, an important role in it. And I mean, it is sort of strange all the all the uh, boob shots and stuff like that. At the same time, a lot of the supporting characters like you know julia or Alyssa are are much more grounded and so like at least not every woman is sort of depicted as as just like this thing to look at yeah Yeah. and like you guys said by the end of her arc as you get to know more about her she does become a much more fleshed out character and and more interesting too so it's just that that's something that if you're watching this for the first time under, you know, I'm the, I'm right there with you if you're having trouble with Faye when you get to that character, but she does get better, and uh, that that really was the only major hurdle for me watching this show because, like like I said earlier, I had already seen Firefly when I watched this, and so I was you know I was very excited to find another show that blended all these different genres and really had that you know hard scrabble kind of approach with its main characters and so so when you take all of that and you take the the really fun writing and the rapport between all these people and then you throw in this amazing music on top i was always going to love this show let's talk about the music a little bit sure yoko kano oh my god so good and unfortunately uh, she's passed away uh she's no longer with us but this this music when when i was writing an article for sound on site about the the top i think it was 10 shows with the most memorable scores that shows that where you couldn't take away the music and have it still be the same show i put cowboy bebop as my number one and i stand by that because this this music is not only amazing it it really centers the the tone of the world and brings it together in this beautiful way. There's there's jazz, there's bebop, there's there's like this at one point there's this like solo clarinet that and the the music just fills the frame. The the as I recall in that episode, the the frame isn't even moving. It's just, you know, staring at somebody who's playing a clarinet. Maybe there's like a wisp of smoke that's changing, but for the most part you're just listening to this amazing music. Well, I think that the, the the amazing thing about the music is that it helps give the entire show a very Western feel. Like this, yes. I mean, it's a Japanese show, and there are the tropes that we've just discussed that can can be hurdles. But I really think that they were trying to go for something very Western. I mean, it's got a Western uh, trappings with cowboy type themes, but it, and and it has a very American type of score with with the jazz. Uh, it, and and so I think that's what helps make it so relatable not not solely but i think it's it really helps make it feel like just something we can understand a little bit better or relate to a little faster um but the music is just gorgeous and peppy and exciting it works so well in 
their action sequences. And that's another thing we haven't honestly touched on is just how smooth the animation can be. I, I want to get to that in a second, but I think to me the most important thing about the music is the eclecticism because, uh, I mean, first of all, like where the, even just the episode titles are drawn from all kinds of places, um, musically speaking, but the, the score is all over the place in terms of genre, which makes sense because the show is drawing from all kinds of places, you know, noir, Western, sci-fi, um, as well as, you know, other sort of general uh, hero myth tropes as well and um, and resurrection tropes and things that, you know, are, are familiar to us. So that eclecticism is really important in terms of uh, reflecting all those you know, seemingly disparate influences. And, and also, like you said, Kate, it's it's, it's always emotionally appropriate um, and and I, I think appropriate in terms of pacing and excitement as well, as you mentioned, for the action sequences. And yes, it is a, a very, in terms of the way it moves, uh, it's certainly one of the best-looking animes I've seen. And the action sequences, especially shootouts, I find shootouts generally to be quite boring, regardless of whether they're animated or live-action. And these are actually exciting. Uh, it Partially it helps that people actually get shot from time to time. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And one thing about the animation that's great is that they, it, it, there's no real stock footage of like you know a ship coming in and docking or something like that, or somebody you know pulling their gun. There's there's no stock footage, and they vary up the types of action sequences. There's hand to hand, there's gunplay, and there's spaceship battles, and they're always sort of unique. And you don't, it's hard to get bored because they vary all that action up. Definitely, they're they're very kinetic, and and it's the combination of and and obviously when I had. When I first saw this, I hadn't seen a lot of other anime, either film or television. So this was sort of my my introduction to the world of anime. It was like Spirited Away and then Cowboy Bebop. Uh, so wow. I got I got massively spoiled with my first yeah. few, um, yeah. first few animes. But uh, the 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 way that it it was something that I hadn't really thought of in animation even at that time. The 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 distinct choices I could see the director. You know, putting it felt like it was something that had been filmed, where they're going to put the camera here, and then we're going to put the camera there, and uh, and as opposed to just sort of drawing the whole world, it has a very distinct point of view in those action sequences, and that's what makes it work so effectively. No question, it, it's kind of weird. I mean, it's 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 a fairly adult series. It, it can be silly, and and it's animated, so you could easily think of it as sort of a kid's show, but there's some very adult themes. Uh, people do get shot. Uh, there's that whole, um, what was it? The two-parter with Gren. I think that that was a pretty weird twist that you wouldn't really see in a, in a kid's show. No. Do you guys remember the character I'm, I'm describing? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I was actually going to mention Gren because I find the show interesting in, in terms of its gender politics, because you do have these, you know, very, sort of more buxom characters who are, you know, kind of flaunted a little bit. And then you also have this streak of androgyny and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, obviously with Edward and then that two-parter with Gren, you know, stuff you wouldn't really expect a show like this to sort of deal with or touch on. And I do appreciate that. They, they kind of mess with you a little bit in a sense because yeah, totally. Yeah. They, they, they get you thinking that it's just going to be occasional cheesecake and stuff. And then, Oh no, there's sort of an extra layer to all that to the gender politics. Good point. I'd like to real quickly just mention uh, the movie. Um, I, I don't know. I, Simon, I'm pretty sure you did not see it. Is that correct? I have not seen it, no. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it either. No, I, I need to check it out. It's uh, That's actually the first thing that I saw. Um, 
think it was I, I saw it in theaters actually. A friend of mine uh was really into the show and he took me to see it uh in the theater back in like two thousand one or something. And um it's very it, it definitely makes sense as a standalone episode. You know, I, I could understand the characters right away and it's got like, you know, if anything, you know, it's it's a higher quality animation and stuff and really exciting action packed. I guess it takes place in the middle of these episodes since the show has a definitive ending. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and that was my introduction. And, and from there, I, I then went back and found like, you know, the, the, the original episodes. But uh, the movie's definitely worth checking out. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty much the only way you can get a little bit more of the show. <laughs> well, I'll have to, to, to do that because I do really like the show. I, that's the thing with, um, with, with some anime shows. There's so frequently, it's a common thing to have the TV show, but then also series and movies. And I was never sure if it was just some of the episodes, like recut, or if it was a completely original thing. So apparently, it's a completely original and a lot of fun, and I should check it out. Yeah, it, it, it if you can figure, I think it fits between episodes, I want to say like 22 and 23. I could be wrong on that. But okay. if you, if you, if you have access to all of them, it's kind of fun to watch it straight through in the order that it's intended. Nice. Well, should we talk about that ending then? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how spoilery you want to get, though. Yeah, Darby spoilers. Listeners, beware. Let's go. There we go. <laughs> well, then, let, let's just say, like, in your opinion, uh, does Spike die? I want to say yes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not like we're getting any more show, so it doesn't really matter, but it's it's the only logical conclusion. I mean, and when I was talking I, earlier I've about... I've always assumed he did. When I was talking earlier about how I sort of wished the show's characters' mythology were as interesting as its world, I think to me the sort of you know Spike's core story about how he used to be in this syndicate and then fell out and now they're after him and all the stuff with vicious, you know, that's the stuff that I find to be the most familiar and the most like I've seen this before. And I don't mean in other animes; I just mean in you know in terms of westerns and noir, this idea that you can't ever really be redeemed and your actions follow you consequences, blah, blah, blah. Like that stuff's all very familiar to me. So the <laughs> consequences, which, which, blah, 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 Yeah, which we all know doesn't, that doesn't happen in real life consequences. <laughs> but um, So, you know, that, that I, I think it's elegantly handled. I think that there's a lot of beautiful imagery and I do like that when we do, when we finally meet Julia, she's like, a, she's endearingly normal. <laughs> right. Right. But, um, but yeah, like that I, I I don't find that stuff to be the most interesting aspect of the show at all. I think it was a bold decision to to end it on at least a very conclusive note and and to just sort of say what you're saying uh that your actions have consequences. And uh it it almost would be a cheat to sort of let him off the hook considering before we met him he he was a gangster and and that's like not the kind of character we should be like, yeah, he should get a free pass because he's charming. <laughs> well, and also the decision to open the pilot with the sequence from the finale that people are probably going to forget about until the very last episode. Uh, I, I thought it was just lovely and, uh, you know, an actual little treat on DVD. Mm -hmm. I think it just shows that, you know, Shinichiro Watanabe had a very clear idea of what he wanted the show to be from, from, from the get go. And, uh, you know, when it, when a, uh, writer has that story locked in, I, I'm just, I'm a little more impressed. Uh, 
I don't know. I, 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 I'm a, I'm such a nut for good structure. You know, I, I'm going crazy over how good, what do you call it? Um, breaking bad is right now. Yeah. Good yeah. Just like blows me away. Like when I'm like, ah, they knew where this is headed, or at least they tricked me into thinking they did. <laughs> yeah. No, but just for me that by opening the series, not with that infectious and so just fun, energetic credit sequence, but with the, I want to say it's like a Celeste, very simple, very noir sort of uh, sure. introduction. It really sets you up for the war, even though you, you almost immediately forget that that's where it's headed. You know, that that's, you know, it, it still s- sets things off at just a little more of a dour, I guess, place before jumping right into the fun of the credits. And it's a, it's a nice little touch that I really appreciate. I think sure. it shows that they're playing fair and that it goes to my point of overall, the show is noir. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, do we have any final thoughts? Any other episodes we want to talk about? Uh, I mentioned Pierre Olafou earlier, which is, of course, named for that film, which if you haven't seen it, you should. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing movie by Jean-Luc Godard. But uh, that particular episode is just so ridiculous. Like, it's pretty much it. I love the way it opens with just Spike walking out into a street and there's the character, and then he, you know, <laughs> encounters the bad guy we're going to be dealing with for the next 20 minutes. No setup at all. Just, there he is. And it's so, he's basically like the the, the actual, you know, Mad Pierre, whatever it is they call him, villain is almost an exact cross between the Joker and the Penguin, except uh, except he is seemingly, it, he can't be shot for some reason. And it's so ridiculous, but it's so gorgeous and creepy and well done that I didn't mind how derivative it was. Yeah, I mean, just the creator has so many amazing original ideas that a, a good portion of the show is standalone episodes uh, with just a tiny bit of mythology sprinkled at the beginning or the end. And um, it, it, it really helps make it unique. Uh, I'm really excited. Uh, the, the creator has a new uh, space western coming out um, this January called Space Dandy. And Ooh. unlike this show, it will actually have like aliens and robots, so it's a little sillier, but um, the animation looks pretty gorgeous from the previews I've seen. That should be fun. Do you have any uh, final thoughts about the series? Uh, buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah, especially if you like watch a trailer on YouTube, and if, you, if that speaks to you, just dive in. This is, I mean, again, this is 26... 25 minute episodes it's you can power through this like like simon did in just a few days it's a really fun show i always just sort of assumed that everybody knew cowboy bebop because it is such a it is very western friendly uh anime and i guess i was just in my bubble of sci-fi nerds in school for the for a long time where we all knew about it and so I was surprised to hear almost no reaction on Twitter when I talked about it. Interesting. Maybe that's maybe that's slightly a generational thing. I, I'm not sure because I, I feel like a, a lot of people that I know, even if they're not into anime, they've at least heard of Cowboy Bebop. It's definitely a shining example of the form. Yeah. And so if, if you are not familiar with Cowboy Bebop, I'm just going to go back to my original pitch because, or what, what sold me, because it was very effective. If you like Firefly and you aren't opposed to anime, you will probably like this show. And uh, yes, it came first. And yes, it does way more different things that Firefly doesn't do. But 
It's got a lot of similar elements. You should at least check it out if you're in in Brown Coat Nation, uh, and, and even if you if you don't like Firefly, if you there's plenty here to to be enjoyed. And, and I really wish that this. I mean, maybe it's just again, maybe it's just the subset that I'm around at this point in my life, but. I do feel like this is an underappreciated, underrepresented show amongst TV nerds and, t- and people who talk like when you talk with people about one season wonders, you know, nobody talks about Cowboy Bebop or two season. I don't know exactly what the split was, but nobody talks about this show. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely it's if among anime nerds, it's definitely in the basics. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's definitely you know, it's one of the first things I think people get into like I did. Uh, but among TV nerds, definitely not as prevalent. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing I will mention, just one more time, the music is so good. It's so dense. And I want to go buy the soundtrack right now. As soon as we finish talking, I'm going to Amazon and buying the soundtrack because it's, it's that amazing. Um, and uh, you heard a little bit of it before this segment, but I had to mention it again, being <laughs> the musician that I am. So, Chris, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Where can our listeners find you online? Let's see, uh, televisionzombies.com. That's my weekly podcast about TV, mostly uh, sci-fi and genre stuff. And then I um, I do a lot of writing every week on uh, therobotspajamas.com. Excellent. Well, th- again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. And we did some Kaylee dancing. And we did some Kaylee dance. <laughs> I think it's time for the supercut. The last time I did a supercut of Rico interrupting, it, I said it to um, Yakety Sax, and it was literally four minutes long of just me starting a sentence and him barking. Because that's how long it took. I think you might beat that this week. <laughs> No podcast for us. <laughs> <laughs>